All right, take your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. That can be a little difficult book to find. Maybe if I put the water somewhere out here. I, I really was thirsty last night while I was. I'm going to go take a drink right now where I've at least taken one drink out of this water that I've had here for, what, three days? <laughs> I'm glad my wife's not here. She said that was really tacky. It was really tacky. Let me say, first of all, thank you, Pastor, for allowing me to come and share God's Word with your folks here at Choice Hills. It's been a pleasure to be here and meet your church family and get to meet God's family. Um, it makes uh, just the thoughts of heaven, you know, one day when we can just uh, obviously be with Him, our Lord, but be with the people God's allowed us to do life with and minister with. And I, I never dreamed that I would do any preaching outside of just the first church I pastored, Emmanuel Baptist. I was there in um, Liberty, South Carolina from 1979 to 1989. That was my first church. And even then, the Lord uh, allowed me to go and start preaching some meetings and stuff. And I've kind of, it's just kind of become something the Lord wanted me to do. I never really planned on this, but um, it's really something I really appreciate. I've met people all over the place and um, certainly not worthy of doing this. There's nothing about me that's special or whatever. It's just an opportunity that God has given me, and I'm super thankful for it. So I'm thankful to be here. And uh, I, I'd encourage you, if you guys pray, I'm not saying you don't, but if you're a prayer warrior, I, I'd be happy to be on your list. I'm on my mama's, but she's 97 and the clock's ticking on her. One day her voice is going to be silent. So I, I'll take all the prayer warriors I can get. So uh, add me to your list. Uh, I'd appreciate that. And, and, and I take, uh, I keep a little note thing. I got a book. Charlie Rice gave me a little idea about how to keep up with where I go and what I preach and keep up with different people's names, pastor's wife's name, different people ask me to pray about stuff, I'll write it down. So y'all got a page now uh, in my little book, and uh, that helps me remember where I've been. So I won't forget y'all and pray for God to work in your life and the church's life and your pastor's life. Uh, I don't want to take anything God allows me to do for granted. I, I don't want to take anything as insignificant whether it's uh, my daily routine at the house or my wife or preaching behind the pulpit. So I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be here tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I really think last night, I, surely I'll just apologize. I, I probably should have just unhooked about verse 12 and maybe finished up that message tonight, but we, we, we pushed it through. Uh, so tonight, I, I really want to look at Ecclesiastes 11. Same thoughts. Uh, how do we respond to the grace of God? And kind of want to build off of what we talked about last night, maybe the personal passion of the Apostle Paul there in Acts 20, that our life should be just, it should just be a life of giving. Not just money, but just giving our life away. Every day living a selfless life, self-denial life. Self is the biggest problem I've got. I think it was Tozer or it might have been somebody else that says that self is the cesspool of everything else that I deal with. And I don't know what that might be scripturally right. Just every other issue I have somehow comes out of that issue, that issue I have with myself. So 
What we're going to do in Ecclesiastes 11, before we get there, I kind of want to just kind of tell you a little bit about the book of Ecclesiastes, not that you don't know anything. But the writer of it was a guy who really messed up most of his life. So it's like a man writing at the end of his life. I think he's an old man. I don't know when Solomon got right with God. I have no idea. Uh, most of his life was a just, I mean, he had just really checked out. I mean, he'd been the guy, if you'd have saw him living, you'd have said, that guy can't be saved. You know, he'd be like um, Lot, you know, whatever. But he vexed his righteous soul. So Lot was a saved man. But if you'd have hung out with him, you'd have probably said, that guy can't be saved. So Solomon lived a rough life. Uh, the first part of the book of Ecclesiastes, if you've ever studied through the book of Ecclesiastes, difficult book to outline because he's all over the place. He's back and forth. It's like a movie that starts at the beginning and then goes forward and then goes backwards and goes forward. It's just, it's really confusing books. Good book, great book, timely stuff in it to live your life the right way from a man who blew most of his life. Whether it's a life as a godly man, godly husband, I mean, just really just bites that up big time. Um, had the smarts. I mean, he asked God for that and God gave it to him and somehow the flesh got in the mix of that and it just really, <clears throat> it just really messed up <clears throat> so many of his decisions. So, so, so he chased all that stuff. Now that I've drank this water, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this coughing smell. See what I did? You, you made me do this. So, so he tries money. You know, and he tries, he tries uh, power and he had all those things. And, and you know, like the, the word that's used the most through the process of the book of Ecclesiastes is vanity of vanities, all is vanities. And here's the guy that had everything. Here's the guy that had the gated community and had the travel plan to the, to the, to the islands and, and, and the card to everything. And he just says, that, that's just an empty life. Here's like... Um, one of those moments where he's departing from all the stuff he tried and found it to be empty when he kind of throws out a real truth to hang on to. This is in chapter 6, really starts in verse 11, and, and I think it goes over to chapter 7 in verse 1. I think he's still talking about the same thing. Just to kind of give you an idea, seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? You can see he's pondering. How? How can we do this better? And he even mentions that, verse 11, that there's a lot of roads that lead to vanity. And he's trying, I think, probably for his sons, like in his household, but also anyone that would read it and benefit from it, from the navigation that he's made that's been bad. Don't do this. Don't try this. Been there. Got the shirt. And it's nothing. So he's just reminding them that there's just so many paths that you can choose to live that just will, will it leave you empty. And then he, he mentions three things in verse 12, and this is a message in itself, for who knoweth what is good for man in this life? That's a question you got to answer. Who really knows the best way to navigate life? Now, we all know the answer to that who go to church. Jesus does. Amen. Well, you answer that question the way you live your life every day. Not what you do on Sundays. Not what you put on Facebook, some little Bible verse or whatever you put on that makes you feel good. Every day you answer that question. If you really believe that God's the only one 
that knows how to navigate life, you ought to be a walking Bible by now if you've been saved for 50 years. You ought to be a theologian's theologian. I'm a preacher man, but I don't have any gift to know the Bible. I might have a gift of exhortation. Some might doubt that. I don't know. But I have no gift of studying. I have no gift that allows me to dig out truths in God's Word any more than you do. So that first question, if we really believe that God knows the best way to live life, then we'd be all a bunch of walking Bible scholars. The second little phrase, all the days of his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow. That's his, that's his big beef, that life's just so stinking short. Anybody with any age on them knows that's a fact. I mean, I'll, I'll be 64 in a few days, and life does just seem like it's just click, 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 click. And it's, but I don't know how many times I've been reminded of that and then just still live like I got plenty of time. So it's like even that idea sometimes just, just kind of rolls off our back so that we work with the lost guy and we ain't talked to him in 10 years. Then you don't really believe that. You don't really believe the clock's ticking if you don't witness to the guy that you've been working beside for 10 years. You don't really believe that. It's a Bible truth, but it's not one that has any sway over your life. For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? And that just simply means what, what, what's a man going to leave? What kind of heritage are you going to leave? And he's not talking about leaving a shotgun or a car or a 401k. He's talking about spiritual heritage. That's why he begins to answer the question in chapter, one, chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, a good name is better than, than, than precious ointment. A good name means a good life. A good life. My, my girls ain't going to gather around the, the shotgun. They're not going to gather around my Tar Heel basketballs. I got all my Tar Heel basketballs when they won the national championship. They're not going to rub the balls and say, boy, this is just amazing. They're going to remember my life. Some of it ain't been that great. But they know it. And I think the most of it's going to show them a pattern of a man that was hungry for Christ. That's what I want to leave. They can throw the basketballs in the creek. They can sell the shotgun. So in 11... If you fast forward to 11, he's kind of gotten to the place where he's going to start preaching. So 11 and 12, he's preaching. And if you read some of the verses after verse 7, we're just going to look at seven verses in 11. If you read in 8, you'll see him kind of talking to a young guy. And that might be like his kids, but it's broader than that because it's the Bible, obviously. And he's basically reminding what I'm telling you or advising you in these first few verses of 11. You need to do this sooner than later. You don't need to mess with the clock on this. You need to be waiting on it. And if anybody gets the idea tonight that you're too old to start, that is a lie of the devil. So you feel guilty because you hadn't done this or hadn't done that. You should have done this. Get over that. That's yesterday. You can't fix that. But you can fix what's in front of you. So it's not just do this as young as you can. For anybody that's young in the building, you need to live 11, 1 through 7 now. As soon as you can, start planning to live this way. If you haven't been, get started now. So that's kind of the indication. Chapter 12 is talking about when you get old, it's going it's to get harder. He talks about teeth rotting out and your legs not working like they used to. So he's just saying what I'm advising you about in this first Verses of chapter 11, you need to get after it. So let's read the verses. Verse 1, Ecclesiastes chapter 
11. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. This is like one of the coolest verses in the Bible. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. Isn't that a great verse? I mean, that would be great on a T-shirt. That's my life verse right there. If a tree falls there, there it is. And if it, if it rains, it rains. Verse 4, he that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is in the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning, sow thy seed. And in the evening, withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Sow your life. He uses seed, bread, in verse 1, which was valuable. You could use it to buy stuff. From what I understand in studying the Bible, you could use seed to just, it's like money. He's asking them in that first verse to sow it, cast it on water. Now, again, I, I'm just telling you what I've read, what I've studied, looking at words and studying out the culture and all that stuff in this passage, that at times there would be like rainy seasons or whatever that would come through and there'd be areas of the land that was real arid and dry and they'd just, you know, maybe the idea of just take some seed and just kind of throw it out there and just kind of see what happens. It's not like the cultivated land or the, the spots that you're kind of generally thinking about where you're sowing some seed to see some growth and stuff. He says, he says, Take a little risk every once in a while. Throw, throw a little over there in a spot where there's a little bit of water and then a little bit of mud. Who knows? And he kind of indicates that as he begins to take this practical thing and kind of make scriptural application out of it within the passage himself. You, you don't know what God's going to do. No, no more than you can see into the womb of a woman. We can now with stuff they do, ultrasounds and stuff. He says, you don't know what God's doing, but guess what? He's doing He's working. Amen. Verse 2, he's kind of talking about liberality. In 3, 4, and 5, he's talking about there's things that will keep you from it. If you look at the wind all the time, you're always looking at the clouds. My wife checks the weather every day. You'd think she was a carpenter. You'd think she had to work outside 24 hours. She's got to know what the weather is. I ask her so many times, what do you care what the weather is? It don't matter. What's it matter? But... He says, if you're going to be that observing person, you're probably not going to ever throw out any seed over there. And that's kind of where he ends in verse 6. Sow your seed. Morning and evening. Well, there's our little passage. 
Let's look at verse 1. Cast not bread upon the waters. Here's this little, little Bible promise, and it's in the Bible, so it's a God thing. It's not a Solomon thing. For thou shalt find it after many days. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt, promise, find it after many days. It's not like definite. It's not like a $10,000 investment, 30 days later you got a million. But you're going to get something. Number one, verse one, live your life to invest. Spiritual. I'm not talking about buy gold. I'm not telling you to buy gold. You might ought to buy gold, buy silver. Somebody said there's going to be a shortage on silver. I don't know. I don't have enough to mess with to invest. At my age, I've done, I've done lost my opportunities. I'm talking about spiritual investment. We're commanded in the Bible to give our lives away. We're commanded in the Bible to invest. Promised in verse 1 that there's going to be a return. So I guess really what verse 1 asks us is are we casting? I mentioned when it was Sunday or Monday, I mentioned it a couple times, that Monday night Bible study that we had at our home. And that was out of our comfort zone. One, out of my comfort zone, because I just, you know, I just really didn't want to, you know, every Monday night, you know. I, I was halfway joking about messed up Monday night football. I got like football. All them people in my house every Monday night messed up the whole stinking first half. So every Monday night, and my wife, and she's not here tonight, and, I, and I'll promise I'll tell her when I get home I talked about her. She is a clean, I mean, she could hold seminars on how to clean house. So the fact of inviting kids over to our house was just completely, and she was, the minute they left, I mean, buddy, she was, she was swiffering and vacuuming and hose, and I had to do all that too, so it was more work for me. But man, that was the most re- one of the most rewarding things we've ever done. And not just rewarding in our investment in them, but what return we've got back out of that. And not just in what they've done or accomplished in their life, but that we've just got lifelong fellowship and friends. I mentioned the two boys. They're not boys. They're 44 and 41. They were boys when they came to the house. And they were messy, especially Andy. I think about John. John and his brother Jared, they were rounders, mean as snakes, because they were lost. So they were just, you know, doing what lost people do. They'd sat in the balcony at the church, and um, I, I would watch them get up. I, on Sunday mornings, I had to set up on the, on the platform. Dr. Rice wanted me to set up there. I mean, you can't even take a nap if you're sitting up there. You know, if you're sitting down there, at least you can nap. But up there, I mean, everybody's looking at me on Sunday morning. So I had to set up there so I could watch. They're just leaving. They're just like, the song service is over, Dr. Rise is preaching, and here goes John and Jared. I even went to their dad and said, listen, the boys are leaving. I don't know where they're going. And their dad said, well, boys will be boys. My daddy would have killed me. He would have chased me down. That would have been a police report. Well, John and Jared, you know, I don't know if they ever came too many Monday nights, but it wasn't long before John began to come to Sunday school, and he wanted to go on a missions trip with us. And I really didn't want him to go. I thought, if he goes, it's going to be problems. So we had 32 kids that had signed up, and they'd, done all, and they'd been working since January to be a part of this missions trip that we were going on 
on in June. And we've been working on things on the Monday nights, of which he never came. Never came one time. So there were little things you had to do to go on the missions trip. You just couldn't sign up and pay you a little money. You had to do something. I had to see some real work or whatever he was doing. John didn't do none of that, but he wanted to go. Last minute. I didn't want him to go. I can't take any credit for what God did. So I just went to my team, went to the mission team, and I said, listen, you guys vote. It's up to y'all. John goes or John stays on your vote. And it has to be unanimous. I made it hard. And every stinking one of them kids voted for him to go. And he went. And he was a little bit of a trouble on the front end. But on Thursday night in that church in Brooklyn, we had our little service and we had our little sharing time. Every night we do some sharing and stuff and I did a little devotion or whatever. John looked up at me, he just stood up. He was a big old boy, played football, I think, for Hannah. And he stood up and he said, Guy, here's what I need to do. I need to get saved. John pastored a little while out in Colorado, went to Bob Jones. He's up in Statesville, North Carolina now, preached for him last year. Mary Beth. Mary Beth was a little stick of a girl, big old hair. She started coming to the Monday nights, and she had a she had a back like a she was just strong willed gal, stubborn, fuss, wanted to live for God. There were certain things she wasn't going to do, and we we used to go back and forth. And God began to work in her life. She surrendered to the Lord. She went to the school she didn't want to go to. She finished school. She's done missions trips. She's been all over the world. She teaches now at Oakwood. But one of the things that, that she said one time, we got her on a, on a weekend, the Disciple Now weekend, where she was speaking to some of our girls. I said, I, said I, I just want you to share some personal stuff with our girls. And she shared this. And she was at that time, she was 32 maybe. She's 40-something now. I don't think she'd care. if Y'all don't know her anyway. She's like 34, and, and I didn't know what she was going to share. And I just snuck into the back of the room, and there's like, there's like, like 30 or 40 girls in this room. They're all middle schoolers and high schoolers. And man, when she said what she said, what she said had so much more value on it than I could have said it 2,500 times. She looked at a room full of girls with big old tears coming down her face, still a little stick body, less hair. She said, girls, I want you to hear something. I still would love to be married. She said, girls, I would so want, I cherish the desire to be a mama. But I want you to hear me. He has been enough. I want you to understand tonight. All I did was have them in my home. I, I didn't share that much scripture with them other than share a Bible story, share some back and forth, and we watched them grow as God began to work in their lives as we just spent the time. Was it aggravating on Monday nights? Yes, it was aggravating every Monday night. Was it messy? Yes. We, we had to spread out and use other homes, and we had to use other homes. It got real messy. Because some of them were not prepared for the mess and they would like boot us out. I'm sorry, appreciate you coming, but you can't come back. Andy one time pulled his car across the morning. I should have never done the Bible study in this guy's house anyway. 
I mean, it was in a real nice neighborhood, and it was about a 3,000-square-foot house. And I'm not against anybody. You can have 500-square-foot or 3,000. I don't care what you live in. And, it, it, and the yard was nice, and there was a big old baby grand piano. I'm thinking, oh, my word, I'm going to have 40 kids over here. I should have never done it. They were really good in the house, but Andy did drive across the corner of his yard and, and, and it dug it in just a little bit. And I promise you, and I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle or besmirch the guy, you know, he, he was not happy. He, he, was, he was not happy. He was telling me the whole time he was on his knees with a fork from his kitchen and he was digging up where the tires had went across. And he looked up at me and he says, you know, I've got $30,000 in my front yard. And I'm thinking, you must have lost your mind. <laughs> right? If I had $30,000, I promise you, I wouldn't put it in my front yard. Now, they were good people, okay? And their daughter was in the youth group. What is your plan in investing in your life. Let me tell you another story, and I got to get off the stories. My wife told me, I told, told, me story, told too many stories last night, so I got to, can she listen to this or whatever and count? Can we edit this anyway? Or is there something we can cut some stuff out? We'll talk after church. Fred. Fred was an old man at Oakwood. I went to Fred's house and I said, Fred, tell me, tell me your grace story. Tell me when you got saved, and he began to tell me. He said, tell me some of your war stories. He began to tell me stories. I said, Fred, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come on Wednesday night. I said, we have a Bible study down at the gym, and we'll have anywhere from 100 to 130 kids or whatever at the gym, and I want you to share one of them stories. I can't talk to people. I can't do that. You talking to me? I said, just talk to them. I said, well, I can't talk to that many people. I said, well, then you can turn around and talk to that, and they'll be behind you. Come on, Fred. Fred became a regular. Fred said, God, I didn't know I could do this. I said, Fred, you're commanded to do this. I've just given you an opportunity to do this. Y'all have stories to tell. What God's done in your life that's probably better than he is, better than mine. I tell you, Margaret Stringer, we should have just got her up here one night and just let her tell stories of the faithfulness of God in her life. You've got something to invest. And it's beyond a Sunday school class. That's easy. And I don't want you to think I'm besmirching what you do on Sundays or Wednesdays in your church. Keep working in the Wanda's. Keep singing in the choir. Keep teaching Sunday school. But there's more to do. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Cast thy morning and evening. Never stop. Remember what Jesus told the disciples? You go to this town, they don't like what you got. Dust your stinking clothes off and go to the daggum next town. That's what he said. That's what I got to do. Don't let opposition, don't let situations, don't let persecution, don't let offense stop you from casting. He says in this verse, thou shalt find it. After many days, there's going to be a return. Second thing, we got to hurry. Second thing, verse two. Verse two, live to invest. Number two, live generously. Generously. 
And this is a weird verse too. Maybe not quite as unusual as verse three, but it's a little weird verse. Give a portion to seven and also to eight. And again, this is just what, I, what I've read, and these are my applications from what he's saying. Seven is like, like complete, and he's saying, okay, if you've, if you've given a portion to seven, then just go on and do it again. It's almost like when somebody says, I, I, need, you to, I need you to work six hours. After you get done with six, just go and work another hour. Just go and do something else. Just go and do some more. The idea of the word portion has the idea of like big amount, like a large amount. Now, I love ice cream. I can't believe I've not already mentioned ice cream. And I, and I don't want you to give me no small bowl of ice cream. I remember one time we were at some fellowship or whatever, and maybe it was ice cream fellowship, I don't know, and one of the teenagers handed me this bowl. I mean, it was that, that big. And they said, you won't fill that up and eat it. I showed them. I hate to admit this, but not every Sunday night, but most Sunday nights, I will buy a half a gallon of ice cream. I like any kind of chocolate and anything you throw in it. And I will, if I don't eat it all Sunday night at church, yes, a whole half a gallon. It will be gone by lunchtime the next day. So I love ice cream. You know what he's saying? If, if you're going to do this investing for the Lord don't get you a teacup. Get you a bowl. Find out how you can go all in to what you're doing for Jesus Christ. We finally found us a family that had a big enough house for the Bible studies, and they didn't care. They had a big old room on the back, and man, we could pile in there, and they didn't care if we messed up. Their, uh, their, 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 and I didn't let the kids... Don't get me the idea that I was just letting them hang from the curtains and swinging from the chandeliers. But I'm just saying, kids are going to be kids, and when you've got 30 to 40 of them in a room, something's going to happen. Something's going to get messed up. Something's going to get put out of place or whatever. I can't police all of them. We'd have a few adults there, but it was mostly me, my wife, maybe one other adult, that family, and then a bunch of kids. And they were just Whatever. He, he was the Chick-fil-A man in Anderson, one of our deacons. He, he owned the Chick-fil-A, the franchise, whatever they, they call it. And so he said, he said what about if y'all just came to the restaurant over on Clemson Boulevard? And I said, well, when we have to get there, 7 o'clock in the morning. I didn't even come up with this idea. He's just thinking, look, let's try to see if the ones that can drive. Plus, they got a free Chick-fil-A biscuit, so I mean, who wouldn't come? So you get there at 7, and they would come in, and they would fill that place up. And all I had to do was show up and pray with them and share them a Bible verse. Piece of cake for me. I got the biscuit too. I mean, they were hot. I mean, what's sacrificing about that? It was a little early. I'm, not a, I'm, not a, I'm a night owl. I'm not an early person. So 7 o'clock was a little early. I went looking pretty skanky every once in a while. But I got there. We prayed. We did a little Bible time. Go all in. If there's stuff going on around Choice Hills, join up with it. Listen, I, I, I mentioned this to the church sometime ago. I mentioned it to my church and ain't done a lick of good. But I've mentioned it to other churches. And this one church about, about two years ago, I said, look, if you got a Sunday school teacher, go up to your Sunday school teacher and just tell them what I want to do 
I, I don't want to help you teach. I, I, I'm not saying I'm going to do that. But what I want to do is I want to come early with you and I want to pray with you. And while you're teaching, I'm going to just stay outside your class and I'm going to pray for you while you teach. And there were some people started doing that in this church. And you wouldn't believe what God did. I'm not telling you that if you do this or that, the text says you don't know what God's going to do, but he will do something. But he won't do nothing as long as you set on your gifts. Promise you that? If you sit on the church pew and just soak it all up and don't get your hands dirty and don't get out there and do stuff on your, I'm, I'm telling you, did I lose something here? No, I'm still good. You won't experience what he's saying. I want you to cast the seed out. But I want to remind you, when you do it, no half measures. He even says it in the verse. Doesn't he? For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. He's just simply reminding you, you don't know how much time you got. So that means it doesn't matter if you're in your 80s or you're in your 20s. The time to get at this, now. The time to start it, now. Let me tell you about Nancy. Nancy was in the first church. Nancy was 15. Nancy had a mom and dad that was really going south in their life. I think they were believers, but they were going south. They showed up, man. They got right with God at the house. And I mean, they, God was doing a work in their life. One day, the mom said, I, I, I'd like for you to come over one day. and I, I want to show you something. And, and I felt kind of odd because she was taking me in the girl's bedroom. And she did. And she took me over to a little corner where she had a little desk and a little, little seat. And, you know, like where she studied for school. stuff. She's a very, very intelligent gal. And um, she pulled out a spiral notebook and she showed me notes from messages, you know, over at the church where she's having to listen to me every Sunday. Bless her. And then she had a little prayer list. I was on that list, by the way, me and my wife both. That was cool. But what her mama was saying, this is what God used to get us. God's just looking for some people that will go out somewhere and throw a little investment of their life there. They some kid. I mentioned them three boys that lived just over the railroad tracks from my house. That mom, you know, one that did the sausage and gravy and I shot the basketball with. I promise you, wherever you live, you can find them. You got to look for them. Back in 9.10, Solomon says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do. Now somebody asking you to do something, it's in you. I'm after doing something. I'm on this. Like last night, Stephanie says, I'm addicted to serving God. And when you do it, all in. Amen. All in. Look in 3, 4, and 5. Live your life to invest. And then when you do it, do it generously, but you got to have a plan. Three, four, and five. This is what I call three, four, and five. 
You got to have a plan. You can't be that guy that's standing out, standing out looking at the clouds. I don't know if that's going to rain or not. I ain't, I ain't, it might. I ain't going. Or that tree right there. See where that tree's laying? Mm-mm. Nope. Tree, that tree might fall. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. I mean, verse 3 is just a unique verse. Clouds are full, and they might empty themselves and rain. Tree falls here. It's, that, that's where it's at. And he just, he's admonishing them. If you spend your whole life observing the wind and regarding the clouds, you ain't going to sow and you ain't going to reap. And I'm telling you in verse 5, God's working. You have no idea what God's doing in that woman that you're married to, but he's making a little man or a little gal, and he's doing it and he's working it, and you'll see the fruit of it one day, and that's exactly what God wants to do in your life. But you've got to get on the front end of this thing and have a plan. I don't care what the clouds look like. I don't care what that tree does. I'm going to invest. I got, I got plenty of sad stories if you want me to tell you some sad ones. Like quitting stories. Getting ticked off stories. Had this fellow that, uh, here's another story. See, we're going to have to do a lot of editing at the end of this. He, he worked down at Oakwood and um, he was like in the maintenance or whatever and I was the associate pastor. Associate pastor, youth pastor and was whatever else pastor didn't want to do. I, that, that was my job. I had a lot of hats. And I was also like 30, I don't know, 30 something, 31, 32, 33 and uh, church was pretty good size or whatever. And so th- this, this fellow that was working there, I, I just, I inherited, I became his boss. You know, because we had a Christian school, we had a daycare, so we had the, we had the workings of like a business. So I kind of I was over as assistant pastor, I was kind of over the maintenance. So he was into maintenance he was probably 20 years, maybe 15 years older than me. And he, he was the maintenance guy, but he was also called to preach. And boy, he didn't like me. Basically because I was 32, I think, or that was in the letter that I got under my door. I shouldn't be in my position. I'm taking out the trash. I get how he felt. Just before we finish this story, I felt that exact way, just so you know. I've, I've had those feelings myself, like, I don't deserve this. Like that Ford Tempo, oh, I could have went off on that and told you all kinds of stories about me. Where I was living, I lived in a trailer, and I got no problem living in a trailer. I lived in a trailer before, I lived in a trailer again, but I never could put a deck on it. I never had a front deck on that trailer, never. And that really bothered me. The car bothered me. I'm driving all over the place. I'm almost ashamed of my car. I'm the preacher man from the Bible college. My car, pfft. So I, I, I get what he's feeling. I'm a 50-something-year-old preacher, and I'm taking out the trash, and you sit in the office. He would, um, we had like, uh, the, the, the trash had to be taken care of on Fridays. I mean, 
church our size and a Christian school our size, we had like 640 students in the Christian school. We had 130 in the daycare. I mean, there's people all over. So it was trashy. And it would all pile up at the back of the building, and that had to all be gotten done with on Fridays. He would leave it. I'd talk to him about it a couple times, and he'd still leave it. And I'd, I'd, I'd have to put it up. The HVAC had issues, and the other guy that was working, he was a preacher too. Not that preachers are hard to get along with, but they can be issues. He wouldn't mess with the HVAC system. So a lot of Sunday mornings, I'd take my coat off and shimmy up this ladder that was in the closet right behind the bathroom. You had to shimmy up the closet, go out on the top, and you had to take this breaker box and go. I can remember mornings up there. I'm going to kill him. Trying to get that air conditioner to go. Let me tell you, you got stories. I got stories of trees that's fallen in my life and clouds that rained all over my parade. I don't care. I'll shimmy up that ladder and I'll work that baby over and I'll go down there and sit on the platform and try not to take a nap and worship my God because he's worthy and ain't nobody doing whatever they do about the trash. I'm not going to let good news or bad news keep me, with God's help, from casting and investing my life. I've been burned. A lot of those kids didn't listen to anything that we're saying, but I could tell you way more stories 11, and this is not bragging. I'm just, I'm just trying to let you know that God does stuff that's just beyond measure. In, the, in those eight and a half years that we met on Monday nights, there's 11 guys and gals that are serving around the world in the gospel. I had nothing to do with that other than opening up my home and letting them know I love them. Mary Beth, when she came to the church, they celebrated a few years ago, my 40 years in the ministry, and they brought Mary Beth, and Mary Beth got in the pulpit, and she said, Preacher, she looked right at me, she said, Preacher, I don't remember one message you preached. I said, thanks for the confidence. Thanks for the encouragement. But here's what she said. She said, but guy, and I didn't have a problem with her calling me guy, because we're friends, we're family. She said, guy, I remember your life. That's what you're selling. Your life. Y'all, I can fake this. This thing I'm doing tonight, I've known a lot of preachers done it for 20, 30 years. I could give you names on that one. 20, 30 years faking it. Preached all over the country. Had women all over the place. You can fake this mess. You can't fake that 24-7 stuff. Open up your home. Open up your life. Sure, they're going to find out about you. That's okay. You're going to find out about them. And you'll find out that God's grace is enough. You'll find out that forgiveness is available. You'll find out repentance is amazing. It's releasing. But you do that as you open up your life and invest your life and let nothing keep you from it. Everybody in this room has believed some excuse of why I can't sing in the choir, can't teach, can't open my phone, can't talk, whatever. Quit believing the lies. Amen. This is a room full of dry loaves and stinky fish that in God's hands can feed a multitude with stinking leftovers. 
more than enough. So what's the text telling me? Start investing. Last thing, and I'm done. And it's in verse number six. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thy hand. Latter part of verse six just reminds us of the providence of this thing. God's always working. Always working. Like the John guy. I didn't think nothing was going on in John's life. I didn't even want him to go, but God was working. And I was too goofy to see it. Man, just, just keep sowing. Morning and evening. It's almost like he's saying, I want you to do it consistently. That'd be the last thought. I need to live to invest. I need to do it generously. I need to have a plan to do it because it's not just going to happen. You won't have to plan your vacation. That's going to happen. You won't have to save money for the new gun or the new this or the new that. That's going to happen. That's in the flesh stuff. You will intentionally plan to do a Bible study. You will intentionally plan to reach your neighbor. You will intentionally plan to open up your home, open up your car, open up your life. That will not just happen. Got to have a plan. And you got to do it consistently. We just took a group uh, to New York. And I've never done this before. We worked with two different churches. One was in Queens. And one was in the Bronx, and they're just getting started, maybe two, three years uh, in both places. And the churches are really doing good, struggling to get built, building the money. It's just astronomical what stuff costs. But we had two, two, a big enough team that we could spread out and work with both churches, and it, and it went really good. And I said some of the things I've been saying for 40 years or whatever, doing mission trips and things, but I reminded them of this one thing. And they paid to go. And we, and we didn't sleep in a gym. I'd rather sleep in the gym where we can sleep on the floor, where it's a little sacrificial. Or share a, share a bathroom. I mean, there's nothing like 30 people sharing like three or four bathrooms. It gets nasty. And when you ask like some teenage guy or some teenage girl to clean them, it's like, I don't want to do that. You make them feel like a servant, they will absolutely start pushing back, I'm telling you. It's good. It's good to be inconvenienced, clean a nasty toilet. Hey, I'll do them too. I got my shift on the toilet as well. So we, we stayed in motels. It was way too nice. It was too posh of a missions trip. But I did tell them this. If you spend money to come up here for a week and you go out in Queens and the Bronx and you're passing out tracts and you're, you're confronting people with the gospel and then you go back home and go back to business as usual, now, you're just a hypocrite. God don't want a week of my life. God wants all of my life. So, so this, this routine of investing your life needs to be consistent, daily, constantly. A few questions. How are you giving and how are you investing your life? Some of y'all need to get up and get busy and get engaged. Number two, what are your ministry plans? What are they? You need to scope them out. Maybe make January your ministry plans. We, we had Monday nights and Friday nights with our kids. Monday nights was a gripe night. I allowed our girls to say whatever they wanted to on Monday nights. When they got a little older, about middle school, maybe whatever, was gripe night. Now, sometimes it got pretty, pretty difficult in there, but it was gripe night. Friday night was vision night. 
I wanted my girls to know we got a plan to serve Jesus. We got a plan every day. It's got nothing to do with your daddy works at Oakwood and your daddy's been called to preach. Your daddy's been saved. Your daddy's been redeemed. Your daddy was a sorry sinner and God saved him. And I'm going to live for him. And I want y'all to live for him. What's your ministry plans? When do you do it? When do you plan to spend? When do you plan to go? When do you plan to give? When do you plan to do? Number three, and this is a big one. Who's your people? Who's your people? What stories can you tell? Who have you done life with? Who have you wept with? Who have you cried with? Served with? Struggled with? Got mad with? Got over it? Got forgiven and moved on? Who are your people? And then lastly, are you pursuing it? Are you going after it? Tonight, cast. And when you cast, go big and have a plan to do it the rest of your life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Pastor, you come.